First Peter chapter three. Go ahead and turn there if you're not already there. So let's read. We'll read um, eight through twelve of chapter three, First Peter. <clears throat> to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Or maybe a better translation is, for hereunto you were called that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, we see held out in these verses this wonderful word, which is blessing. Oh Lord, how we want your blessing. Lord, we want your blessing in our personal lives. We want your blessing in the life of this church. And Lord, we we know that there is a path to blessing. There is an exclusive path to blessing. And certainly it's not a path where... Sin can be um, uh, cherished and uh, where uh, slander is rampant and where evil is done. Um, Lord, where discord occurs. Lord, all these things here. Lord, you've told us the path to peace, the path to blessing is the path of love, the path of kind-heartedness, the path of sympathy, the path where, Lord, we watch our tongues. These kinds of things, Lord. And, and Lord, as we do these things, we know we will have your blessing. So Lord, this morning, I just pray that in our midst, if there are people here, if, if myself, Lord, if we are living in ways that are keeping us from experiencing your blessing in our personal lives or in the lives of the life of this church, Lord, that you'd reveal it. You'd be a, a gracious Father to reveal these areas to us, Lord, again, so that we can just know what it is to know your nearness as we will read uh, in a moment in the Psalms that we will know that your face of, of, and smile is upon us, your favor, these kinds of things, Lord, your strength, um, Lord, all these things. We pray that you would just help us to live lives, to not grieve your spirit, um, but, Lord, live lives where we are doing good, we are seeking the good of others, so that um, when we call to you, you say, here I am. Lord, that's what we want. We want that more than anything. Lord, again, unless you are here, unless you're working in our midst, we are doing all of this for nothing. Uh, so, Father, we, I know that very well, and I don't take that for granted. Um, so, Lord, again, just be our teacher. Thank you so much for your word um, that reveals who we are, judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It cuts to the very root of who we are. It cuts through our excuses. It cuts through our justifications. It cuts through so many things, Lord, and just lays us bare. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, what a blessing. So, Lord, help us to be like the one who looks at himself in a mirror and sees something that's off and fixes it, not someone who sees something that's off and walks away like nothing's wrong. Um, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, so we have made our way um, through verse 8 and 9. And last week we looked at the end of verse 9. Um, and we looked at this issue of, well, I guess we looked at the whole of verse 9, didn't we? 
Um, we looked at this issue of not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Uh, we looked at this, this, this idea that within the body of Christ and just really within the world in general, evil will occur, right? Peter has a category for evil. There is a category of evil. These things will occur, and as Christians, we will encounter it. We'll encounter it out there. We'll encounter it in here. Um, and as that occurs, Peter says the first step when evil happens to you is to not return the favor, right? That's the first step. Don't do it back. <laughs> Don't return evil for evil. But then he says... Rather, which is the harder part, give a blessing instead. So when evil is done to you, when insults are railed at you, what should you do? Well, you don't return the favor, but rather you look after their good. Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. Seek after that which is good for one another and for all, never repaying evil for evil. This is extremely important. This, has the, this, this, is, this is how we keep peace and unity. This is the aspect of love that was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus, wasn't it? who while he was being nailed, arguably, while he was being nailed, while he was being crucified, while he was being killed and tortured, he prayed <laughs> that Father would forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is, a, that, is a, that is the heart and the mind and the spirit that the Lord wants us to have when we are taking on offenses. It doesn't mean that you don't talk to the people who are insulting you. It doesn't mean that you don't address the evil in some way, but it means that your heart is for their good. Your heart is for their help. That's what, it, that's, that's what he's getting at here a blessing, true blessing, to do them good. So we talked a a little bit about that, and we we talked about that that particular course of action, not returning evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing, is what we were called to. Peter says this, for hereunto you were called. Just like over in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you this and that. There's something we've been called to, and that's something we've been called to is a life of love, a life of harmony, as Peter says in verse 8, sympathy, brotherly, kind-heartedness, humility of spirit, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For in this, for hereunto, this life, this path, these attitudes and actions, you were called. This is the life that you were called to. And ultimately, Why? so that you might inherit a blessing. This is the exclusive path to blessing. A life of living unto the Lord in love and holiness is the exclusive path to blessing. Do you want God's blessing in your life? This is the path. This is the way to achieve it. So Peter here is holding out to these Christians in Asia a wonderful incentive to live a life of love and obedience to the Lord. And what is that incentive? Well, he says here in one word, he says it's a blessing. You would inherit or obtain blessing. In other words, as as these people are hearing these things from Peter, the question is, well, how how do I continue to turn the other cheek? How how do I continue to to put away my rights for the good of others? How do I continue to prefer others? How do I continue to be kind-hearted to this person who's very cold? How How do I continue to not return insult for insult? How do I do this? Well, you do it knowing that as you do it, God will bless you. God will be for you. God's favor will be on you. This is what you're looking for if you're a Christian, right? If if, if you're a Christian, what you're looking for is the fact that you know that God is happy with you. That's what you care about. That's what you should care about more than anything else. Even when you're suffering unjustly, Peter says this finds favor with God when you do it with a clean conscience and you do it in obedience to him. And that's to be a huge incentive for us. As Christians, we need to, to recognize that our first and, form, first and foremost, that our, 
our desire is not for the praise of man, but it's for God's praise. It's for God's blessing. So how are we going to keep turning the other cheek? How are we going to be sympathetic? How are we going to remain kind-hearted? You do it knowing that God will bless this life. So, what is the blessing? We talked a little bit about it last time. We didn't really talk it in great detail. Um, We talked about different passages where we looked at the fact that there's going to be trials in this life, and it's through trials that ultimately will end in glory. Paul says, through many tribulations, we shall enter the kingdom. There's this, there's this reality that tribulation is our lot as Christians. And as we go through tribulation, this is the exclusive path to glory as we, as we suffer with Christ along this path. And certainly part of this tribulation is just the trials of being insulted, the trials of people doing evil to us and those kinds of things. And it's faithfully going through those trials that will yield us into the kingdom. And, and so we just talked about, again, the fact that that's the exclusive path to ultimate blessing and ultimately eternal blessing. Um, over and over in the Bible, we find that it's a life of, of, of those who forgive others that our Father forgives us. It's a life where if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ. There's this conditional aspect of it. that It's a life of love lived that will yield final an eternal blessing. But I think that here in Peter, I think that the idea of a blessing is not just for the eternal state. I think it's a time, it's also a term that, that, that speaks of blessing now. And we're going to see that even more this morning. So let's look at it here together again. Peter says, you live this life of love that you might inherit a blessing. And now he grounds it, quoting Psalm 34, verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So, so here, when Peter is talking about this fact that you're going to inherit blessing, he grounds it in Old Testament text. So what I want to do is I want to read, go back to Psalm 34, and start reading in verse 8. Start reading in verse 8 and make some comments along the way. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to see what is the blessing that Peter has in his mind. You know, Peter obviously, when he's quoting a little bit of a psalm, he's, he's thinking of the whole context of the psalm, more than likely, and there are some rich, rich things throughout Psalm 34. So what is this blessing? Again, we talked about, of course, it's, it's ultimately our life will yield in blessing. We'll give way to blessing, eternally speaking. But even here now, Peter is holding out, the psalmist holds out for us a blessing as well. What is it? Well, let's, let's start looking at it together. I mean, you almost see it just from the first part here in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, that's, before you even get very far, you see that what the writer is calling you to is to experience the goodness of the Lord, to taste and see it. Right? As Christians, in this life, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can, we can have this experience where we're like, man, the Lord is really, he's answered prayer, he's showing me things from his word. Uh, all kinds of different ways you can taste and see that the Lord is good, but the first thing that the psalmist wants us to do is to remember this. You know, how quickly we don't go and taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? How quickly we get so uh, satisfied with status quo 
We're just going through the motions of life, and he wants us to stop and taste and see that the Lord is good. It is so important that you recognize that God is good, and he wants you to delight in him. He wants you to experience what it is of his goodness. He wants you to to, to be renewed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There's this blessed state of one who takes a refuge in the Lord, finds shelter in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to to those who fear him there is no want. Well, that's a blessing, isn't there? Isn't that a blessing? The fact that if you fear God, you, you will not want for a thing. You will not want. Fully satisfied, fully provided for. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. It's quite a statement. Do you believe that? you believe that if you fear the Lord, you will not lack any good thing, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life? you believe that? For Christians, that's, that's real and true. All things work together for our good. Even trials. Even trials come to us for our good. But you don't lack any good thing. And here I think he's, he's too talking about just even material provision. We'll talk about that in a minute. So now he takes on the role of a, a sort of a teacher. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? And there's where Peter picks up his language there. Who, who wants to live a life that's fulfilling? Who wants to live and see good days? Who wants length of days? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, wait a minute. I thought you just said that we'd have good days. And I thought you just said that we would have this life of, 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 of longevity and, and seem, seemingly just happiness. And, th- and he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So whatever you think about good days and whatever you think about length of days, you need to recognize that for the righteous, it's going to mean a lot of afflictions in those days. So it's not a life free from affliction, is it? Many of the afflictions of the righteous. But here's the blessed part of it. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. See, the key here in a good life is the fact that the Lord is in every day. He's with you every day. That's the key. That's what the psalmist said. Taste and see, not that you can have conflict-free days. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is with you in your brokenheartedness. Taste and see that the Lord can be with you in your times of affliction and trial. These kinds of things. So that's Psalm 34, 8 through 19. Peter is thinking of this passage to ground his argument to these Christians. These Christians that are under the threat of persecution wanting them to understand the blessing God has for them if they will walk in holiness. What are the blessings that we see in Psalm 34? Well, 
One of them we saw was the Lord's provision, right? The Lord's provision. And, and with that provision comes this idea of contentment, I think, right? The sense that you have no want, right? Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You get the sense that David is like, I'm amply supplied. I can't remember where David wrote Psalm 23. Maybe it doesn't say, maybe we don't know. I do know that a lot of his life wasn't lived <laughs> in a nice little green pasture, right? That he talks about in Psalm 23. But for the Christian, it doesn't really matter where you are in terms of the difficulties of life. You can still say that at all times. Why? Because it's the Lord who's your shepherd. And here it's the Lord's provision that's in view. Those who take refuge in the Lord have no want. They are fully supplied. Fully supplied. And I think he means here materially as well as spiritually. But here, I think material is probably primarily in view. He says the the, the, the lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. The Lord's going to give you your needs for, for your life, your basic needs. What an amazing reality. <laughs> what an amazing reality that we don't have to worry about economies crumbling. Is that an amazing reality? Why? Because we're righteous and we have the Lord. For those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Whether you live in an inflated economy or whether you live in, whether you live in times of prosperity, regardless, it's the Lord who takes care of us. Stock markets crashing, food shortages. Seek the Lord. We don't need to worry about basic needs. We need to worry about whether we're seeking the Lord. That's what we need to be greatly concerned about. Is this our priority of our life? Do we seek his kingdom first? Isn't this what Jesus said? You want to have clothes and food and, and all of those basic needs of life? Seek my kingdom. Don't be like the world scrambling around for, for those kinds of things. And he's talking about basic things, let alone what most Americans spend their energies on. Seek the kingdom first. And everything, in your time, in your money, in your, in, in, your, in, your, in your alone time, whatever, seek the kingdom first. Let it have priority. And then God says, I supply all these other things. That's a wonderful reality. Over and over in the Bible, how many times do we have to see God miraculously providing for his people with food and drink? It's there, isn't it? It's there. Oh, but that was back then, and God just did that so that that would be in the Bible so we could say, oh, that's cool. No, that's for you. That's for you. That's for me. We don't need to worry about our finances. Doesn't mean you're stupid about it. You, you exercise wisdom, right? But what I'm saying is you exercise wisdom, seeking the Lord first, the Lord will provide. 100%. That's what it says. And along this line, you also have the statement here, long life and length of days that we may see good. Again, Peter picks this up here. And this has to do with the blessing. The blessing that God gives. Who's the one who desires life and to love and to see good days? This is one of life's huge questions, isn't it? This is a, a massive philosophical question. Philosophers have jobs primarily and livelihoods primarily to answer this question. How do we flourish as human beings? Right? We know what the answer is. We should just read, you know, Psalm 34. There it is. You know, go get another job. It'd be much more helpful probably if you did. But this is why they 
have jobs. They, they try to find out, how do we have fulfilled lives? How do we see good days? How do we love life? Philosophers seek to discover or invent the true meaning of life and, or, or find the formula for human flourishing. Scriptures tell us plainly. It's not some complicated answer. And what is it here in Psalm 34? It's fearing the Lord. Right? It's fearing the Lord and seeking Him continually. That's what it is. Scriptures weren't written to philosophers primarily. It was written to people living under the real threat of persecution in Peter's day. It comes to average men and women to help them understand how to live a life with the favor and fellowship of the Lord. Now, this kind of, this kind of incentive of length of days and seeing good days and, and having a fulfilled, prosperous life This is actually the kind of reasoning that's prevalent in wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and we don't have time to even touch, scratch the surface, but I do want to spend a second there because the writer in the Psalms here points it out. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Let's think about it just for a second. Who wants it? Well, everyone. Right? The assumption is everybody wants this. And not only that, but the assumption is that God wants this for you too, doesn't he? Does God want you to love life? Does God want you to see good days? Well, yeah, of course he does. That's what he wants. The Lord wants you to have your best life you can now. He does, 100%. Knowing it won't be your best life ultimately, but he wants you to have the best life you can this side of heaven. He does. He wants you to love life and have good days. He takes no delight in our destitution or depression, self-pity. He, he, he doesn't take any delight in us, in us living in that kind of fog and darkness. That's not what he wants. He wants us to look to him, right? Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant. This bright light that as we look to him. And again, that's the key. You want, love, you want to love life in length of days, it's constantly looking to the Lord again and again and again. But anyway, before I get ahead of myself, this question, though, is a little bit complicated, isn't it? To love life and see good days, it's, it, it becomes a little complicated when you think of the fact that there are some people in this world who have all manner of success in this life and appears that they see nothing but good days even though they're out-and-out unbelievers and just wicked. And their life looks completely Wonderful. Right? My mom was there in Miami right now and down there at the bowl yesterday or whenever it was and um, talking to me about all the ships and all the boats and all the, the joy and this and that of what it looks like they're experiencing in this kind of lifestyle. It just looks like, man, this is to love life and see good days, right? And he doesn't like riding on a boat in the ocean. I mean, it's a great time. So what do, you, what do you make of that? You know, or and then you've got certain Christians in this world persecuted, shamed, marginalized, mistreated, and poor. <laughs> so again, what kind of good days are we talking about? 
Is Peter and the psalmist thinking good days are the days of just health, wealth, and prosperity? Well, before you say no, before you say no, it is important to realize that in the scriptures, a life of wisdom can issue forth in health and wealth and prosperity and stability and long days of living. That's what the Proverbs teach. It's not that it happens every time, but it does hold that out to us as we seek wisdom, doesn't it? And because unbelievers have common grace to greater and lesser degrees, they can achieve earthly prosperity in this life because in certain things they've exercised wisdom and found success. Right? There is some retribution in this life for wise behavior, even if it's done in unbelief. That happens. But is it just health and wealth and prosperity that wisdom holds out? Is that, is that, is, is that wisdom's goal? Is this fundamentally why days are good and this is what life is all about and the way to true fulfillment? Well, obviously not. Think about our psalm again. Our psalmist in verse 11 has this tone of wisdom, has the tone of wisdom literature as the, assuming the role of a teacher. He says, come, you children, listen to me. And he doesn't say, let me teach you how to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Before he gets to the good days, he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's what he says first. Who is the man who desires life and love? Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? So, so we need to understand that even in our text, it's the fear of the Lord that's connected to and issues forth in life, length of days, and seeing good days, those kinds of things. Leave the fear of the Lord, and these things aren't yours. Not in the sense that the psalmist thinks, because he can't imagine the two being separate and them being good. Truly good. So whatever these days are, they are completely filled with God and a fear of God and a vision of God and a knowledge and a God-centeredness every day. It's not just that you got a lot of money and you got nice boats and you got a nice house. That's not the good days the psalmist is holding out. Now though, sometimes those nice things can be there, but will be infused in all of those things too is the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. In the Proverbs, we also find Solomon holding out to those who read his Proverbs, he holds out to them the way of life and death, the way of wisdom and folly. And many times wisdom is stated to be the way to truly live a successful and blessed life, a fruitful life. Listen to Proverbs 8.35, talking about wisdom. For he who finds me finds life. He who finds me finds life. So if you're a wise person, You are living the good life, is the idea. You are living a life God intended. Or listen to this, in Proverbs 8 as well. I love those, wisdom talking again, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Notice that, that riches and honor and wealth are the, bro- the byproduct of wise living. We, we can't minimize that. That's, that's the truth. Wisdom says hard work, working smart, honoring your employer, 
Being skillful, this usually yields success financially, and that brings favor in the eyes of men as they see your stable life. That, that can happen. But notice also in the Proverbs here, Proverbs 8, that it's not riches and wealth that are first sought. It's wisdom from the Lord that is sought first. And then these normally accompany the wise person. But notice what's also there, along with wealth, enduring righteousness. That's interesting. Enduring righteousness, a righteousness that endures. The truly wise person, the person who seeks the wisdom from the Lord is a person who obeys the Lord and lives for the good of others. That's what righteousness is oftentimes. It's, it's a life of, of, of living for the good of others, li- living the righteousness of God. They pursue righteousness. They pursue doing what's right in every occasion. And because they have a measure of financial prosperity, they're eager, eager to help others. The life of wisdom is the life of selflessness too. And many other verses in, like this in Proverbs that teach that we can experience riches and honor and prosperity as God's people. And, and these things are aspects of an abundant life in Proverbs. But it is also clear that riches and honor in the eyes of men are not the main pursuit or the goal of one's life. The main pursuit in Proverbs, as in all wisdom seeking and applying, is knowing God. That is fundamental. Listen to Proverbs 9.10. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you know God and you're six years old in here, you have more understanding than those philosophers in ivory towers. Because you know God. You know why you are here. You know why anyone's here. You know what life is about, at least at some basic level. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So a life just of material blessing isn't, isn't, isn't truly living. Is it? Proverbs 2, 4, and 6, again, speaking of wisdom, if you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. There it is, the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes understanding and knowledge. So that's it. You seek the Lord's wisdom. You seek it as hidden treasure. And you discover the knowledge of God. How is it that when you search for wisdom, you discern the fear of the Lord? How is it? How do you discern the fear? Because that's what it says. You seek wisdom as hidden treasure, you discern the fear of the Lord. I mean, at least one way this works is the fact that when you're thinking about the Lord's wisdom, right, and the different things, all of his instruction and all of his commands, and these, what, what are you doing? You're thinking about him. Aren't you? When he, when he says to do these, these loving acts, these concrete loving acts toward your neighbors, it reminds us that he is a God of love. When, when he tells us about sin's destructive power or, or the harlot's destructive ends or something like that, we, we're reminded he's a God of light, right? When, when we're reminded about just dealings in the world, we're reminded that God is just. And, and it, it enhances our capacity to see him in a larger scale, you seek wisdom, you seek his word, these kinds of things that enlarges your view of God and, it, and you will discern the fear of the Lord. You, you, you gain a knowledge of God. You deepen your knowledge of God. 
And this is ultimately the goal of wisdom. The goal of wisdom is to know God. And again, that's why material blessing in this life by itself is not a good life. You can have all, everything in the world, right, and still forfeit your soul, Jesus says. What does Jesus say? This is eternal life. That they may know you. They may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So while many people enjoy benefits of wisdom and earthly prosperity, they can still be alienated from true life because they're alienated from him in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus says that one of the main purposes of his coming was to give us life. In John 10, 9 and 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I've come to save my sheep. When someone believes on Jesus Christ, they enter this fold. What a, what a blessed reality. But there's more. When you're a part of Jesus' fold, you can, he says here, you can go in and go out and find pasture. You know? When you know Jesus Christ, you go in, you go out, and you find pasture. Well, what is that? That's, that's spiritual nourishment. That's living. That's knowing God in this world. That's, it's deep. Wonderful, wonderful picture. You now have these, these pastures of grace and blessing you didn't have before. You've got God's word that fills your mind with the beauty of Christ and the gospel and his truth. You have the spirit that, that as you live in this world will be with you and will strengthen you and, 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 and help you obey him and be faithful. All these things, you, you go in and you go out and you find pasture. Following Christ and his word, you become healthy and prosperous in every way. He wants your days to be blessed. He wants your days to be filled with joy and wonderful memories of his goodness, his faithfulness. He doesn't want us depressed and doubting and living in destitution. He doesn't want us anxious and fearful. He says, I want you to go in and go out and find pasture. I want you to have life. I want you, I want you to deepen your knowledge of me. I want you to know me. I want you to look to me. I want you to trust in me. I want you to go to my word. I want you to abide in me. That's what I want. I want you to bear fruit. I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. Your fruit would remain. So ultimately, wisdom leads us to know Christ more. Ultimately, wisdom shows us that knowing God more is the goal. And of course, it yields many wonderful benefits. What's some other aspects of blessing in Psalm 34? Not just life and good days and those kinds of things. But what else? Well, you get in the life of blessing the Lord's eyes and ears. The Lord's eyes are yours. They're toward you and his ears are open to you. That's what it says. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. Again, talking about incredible blessing here. 
Incredible blessing. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The idea here is that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, if you are righteous, no matter what you're experiencing, God love, God's loving eye is upon you. His eyes are toward the righteous. Now again, God sees all things, right? But he looks with a peculiar interest and concern for you if you're righteous. This is a blessing. This is a blessing. How do I continue to live lives of obedience? How do I continue to love others? How do I continue to be harmonious and not returning insult for insult? These kinds of things you have to remember. God's eyes are on you. He watches you. It's so easy to feel forgotten. Isn't it? It's so easy to feel that. No one sees me. Isn't that Isaiah 40? Jacob complaining, says, does God see? Have you not heard? Have you not, do you not remember? So on and so forth, Isaiah 40. But the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Why should we continue to obey? Why continue to try? Who will advocate for me in this betrayal? Or so on and so forth. We must always lift our eyes to him whose eyes are already on us. He sees you when you suffer unjustly. He sees the small acts of kindness you do for your unruly husband. He sees the faithfulness you, and the little things you do for your unreasonable boss at work. He sees all that. The eyes of the Lord are not toward the religious elite and not just missionaries, right? And not just pastors, not just the important guys out there on the web. His eyes are on the righteous. They're on you. If you're in Jesus Christ, they're on you. You're pursuing the Lord. His eyes of love are on you. His, his attention is on you. It's not just on theologians, not just on the Christian over there, but on you. It's an extremely great comfort to know that God always watches me. And he watches me from a heart of love. You know, my Silas, at, um, sometimes at night, will come in and he'll be scared or... Um, he'll need something or whatever and he'll come to the side of my bed and his room is actually, if I'm laying on my bed, his room is straight down the hallway right in front of me. I can see his door and you know, he'll come to me again scared or wanting me to pray for him if he gets scared or those kinds of things or if he needs something. Um, but when it's time to go back to his room, I've stopped getting up with him and walking him to his room because you know, he needs to learn that it's okay. You'll make it. You know, Nothing's going to jump out. And, but, but, but the compromise is I shine my light from my phone so that he can walk down the hallway and know I'm watching him. And it gives him confidence as he walks into his room. He knows that as the light shines on him, dad's watching. If something did happen, he'd be right there. And that's this idea. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The eyes of the Lord, the Lord is your Father, and He loves you, and His eyes are toward you. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is. His ears attend to their prayers. Not only does the Lord see us, He's not looking at you through some protective glass. He hears you too. 
What an amazing promise. Whoever, whoever of the righteous calls out to the Lord, he hears him. This has got to be, again, one of the most precious aspects of a blessed life in relationship with the Lord, God. Almost every time I pray, and I want to stir myself up to pray, I remember this verse. This verse comes to my mind all the time. God hears me now, you know. You're going to stop and you're going to say, I'm going to pray. How do I know he hears me? Well, he says he would. He says he will, and God's not a liar. Glorious verse. His ears are not closed to me. And certainly it not only means that he hears me, but that he hears with readiness to act and give grace and strength in time of need. He gives grace to the humble. When you're praying, I mean, you've humbled yourself, right? I mean, you've, you've said, I can't, but you can. That's, that's what you've said. And God gives grace to the humble. And certainly God gives us grace in general every day, but he, he especially gives when we ask him. This is important for all of us, but think of this, you stay-at-home moms or you ladies that are at work and you're, you're there and you're dealing with unreasonable customers or whatever it is, just remember that even there, if you're at the counter, if you're, you're at your desk, you're at your cubicle or you're in front of the sink washing dishes or you're behind a hot stove and you've got all this pressure around you, remember that you can pray right then and God hears you. You don't need to go to a special room or to a special person. God hears you. His ears are open to your prayers. All of us need to remember this. It's just an amazing blessing. And you know, again, we're going to talk about this at some point later, but this, 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 this disposition of God toward us, of blessing and hearing our prayers and these kinds of things, these things... These things happen as we seek Him. These things happen as we live lives of love. Think about earlier when he talks about that husband that is not loving his wife like he needs to and perhaps he's being harsh and he's stonewalling her and he's being selfish in his life. He says, your prayers are hindered. There is conditionality in the Christian life for God's blessing. You want to have God's blessing, you want to have God's full, full-throated just answer to your prayers You need to live lives of love and holiness. It's not an automatic. Oh, you can neglect me for a month and live in slanderous, you know, divisive spirit and actions and think that God's going to answer you. Now, he might answer you if you repent. But God will also stiff arm and discipline. So that's what I mean. I mean that there is a condition to these things. And it's an incentive to us to live lives where we are continuing to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. It's a a continuation that we have to continue to remember that we have to be living in love. Again, remember, who wants to see good days? He must not do this and he must do this. It's not just, there is conditionality in the Christian life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Who will dwell and abide in the tent of the Lord? Psalm 15. He who doesn't slander his neighbor. Think think of that. What you say with your tongue and what you do in your life and the way you live your life will mean God will bless you and have be full-throated open to you and answer in prayers. Or it means he might be this. 
Or it might reveal that you don't know him at all. And one day you'll, you'll get a horrible face from the Lord on the day of judgment. But the life of love is the life where God brings blessing. What else do you get, Psalm 34? The Lord's nearness. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted in Psalm 34. Saves those who are crushed in spirit. You may be going through trials that are crushing you and afflicting your soul right now. You may be going through hardship. But as you take refuge in the Lord, he is near. Again, you're taking refuge in him. That's where you find it. That's where you find help. You don't find help out here somewhere. You find help in the Lord. Oh, if we could just get a hold of this, if I could get a hold of this more, we're so quick to strategize or to, not that we shouldn't, but we're so quick to rely on all these things rather than first going to the Lord. Taking refuge in the Lord when we're crushed We'll find him there. Another psalmist says that your nearness is our good. Psalm 16, 2. Even in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says that if you're reviled for the name of Christ, which is certainly an affliction at some level, he says you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. <laughs> That's just such an amazing picture, isn't it? Spirit of God and of glory rests on you. Again, the idea of blessing in Peter and in the Psalms is God being with you. You are blessed. Why? Spirit of God and glory rests on you. (laughs) That's why you're blessed. Even though you're being reviled, even though you're getting beaten, maybe you're getting tortured. But you are blessed. I mean, can you imagine that? Looking at a man in prison waiting death row, being accused of a crime that he never committed, but he is utterly blessed beyond measure because God's spirit is all over him, because he knows the Lord, even though the next day they might send him to the guillotine. I mean, it, that's, that's what Peter's holding out here. Again, why? Because, because this could be the lot of these Christians and they need to have the right perspective of what true blessing is. It's having the nearness of the Lord. Well, a couple more things and we're done. What else? Well, the Lord's deliverance. Many of the, is another aspect of God's blessing. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Deliverance can happen in this life, like Peter being sprung from his jail cell, miraculously. It's a wonderful account there. Or deliverance will happen like it did to Stephen when he yielded up his spirit to the Lord. Ultimately, one day, you and I will look back and see that we are free from all affliction. We're free from it all. All of the troubles, all of the distresses, all of the affliction, the Lord delivers them out of them all. Again, this would be very, very powerful to, to Christians that think that maybe, hey, my neighbor might rat me out that I'm a Christian and you know, I may have to say goodbye forever to my family. Well, the Lord will deliver you out of that. He will. He might even do it in this life. But he'll definitely do it in the life to come. And that's no small thing. It's a massive, wonderful thing. As the hymn says, sickness, sorrow, pain, and death one day are going to be felt and feared no more. We get delivered. Get delivered. So, if you want to love life and see good days, you'll have blessing. And what this blessing is, it's it's, it's tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It's God's continued help and favor and provision 
the nearness of his spirit. This is what Peter is getting at. Right? Stability in your life too. That's, that's another aspect to it. But this is what Peter is holding out for them. And, and next time when we get together, we're going to see the condition a little bit clearer about how to make sure that you do gain this blessing. And as we as a church, that we gain and keep this blessing. And a lot of it has to do with your tongue. And a lot of it has to do with keeping peace. And a lot of it has to do with, are you doing good and turning away from evil? That's how you keep it. You, know, you can lose it so fast if you're not being careful on these things. Thankfully, God is a God who is slow to anger, right? And a God who's full of grace and a God whose blood of his son continues to cleanse us. And I'm so thankful for all that. But we want God's blessing. And these are the things, brethren, you have to remember when it's hard to obey, you know. And even sometimes when you've blown it, you can go back to the Lord and you can restore that and the Lord will, his face will be smiling again at you, you know. Um, so these, these are things to consider. This is what Peter holds out to these Christians. The blessing of the Lord. To love life and see good days. To have him be with you. And not grieve him. And not incur his, his discipline. Those kinds of things. That's, that's what Peter's holding out. So let's thank the Lord that we get this blessing. Father, thank you for this hope we have. Thank you, Lord. What an, what an amazing incentive, Lord, that if we're pure in heart, we can see you. Lord, what a glorious incentive. To keep, our, to keep ourselves free from sin so that we can see you. Lord, it's not even comparable as a trade-off. It's, it's amazing. And Lord, we, we just ask you that you would help us to be motivated by your nearness, that this is really what should make us tick. This should be what concerns us greatly, is having your favor, your love, your blessing, your spirit of glory resting upon us, these kinds of things, resting upon this church. Um, oh Lord, please work. Do whatever it takes in our midst, Lord, to keep us there. And be with my brethren this morning. If they're going through afflictions, Lord, where they're crushed in spirit or, or they find themselves brokenhearted, we pray, Father, that they would be moved to, to find refuge in you and then find you there um, and be able to testify at some point in their lives after this trial is over of your goodness that they could tell others, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Lord, for those this morning who are just religious or those who just think that, um, I don't know, just, just living right or, or just being good citizens um, receives this blessing. Lord, it doesn't. It's only a relationship going through the door. Jesus Christ is the door that you can have real abundant life. That they would realize that and they would go through that door. They would... They would cling to Jesus Christ. They would look to him as their only hope for righteousness, their only hope for eternal life. Lord, please work. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.